welcome to another bonus episode of Tim Talk, the podcast intermittently at this point. About, occasionally. Occasionally about the DC animated universe, co-created by Bruce Tim. I am Chris Lord. I'm Cameron Dexter. And uh, as we do with any major, particularly comic book release, we are here to talk about the latest Joker. And, and by latest, we mean two weeks after its release, where everyone's already release, done talking about everyone's it. Everyone's already done talking about it. Yeah. Here we are. Yeah. I, we, we talked about it on last week's as episode. Topical as always. Always so on top of the pulse. Uh, yeah, we um, talked about it briefly in last week's episode, but I was going out of town, so we recorded this a week early. So we were recording this opening weekend, mm-hmm. um, it'll be released uh, a little bit over a week after that fact. Uh, you and I both saw it over the weekend. Yes, we did. Um, as did a lot of other people, because it's, it's doing very well It's in the doing box well. Office. I just brought it up. So as of uh, Sunday evening, it has grossed worldwide $234 million. Fuck. Uh, 93.5 of that being domestic. Uh, it's, I mean, it's number one movie this weekend. Obviously it is the, do you think it's going to be number one R rated? Do you um, think it's going to pass Deadpool? Maybe. Or sorry, Passion? It's, it's a maybe, uh, that might be hard to do it. So right now it's uh number one opening weekend, October number two opening weekend fall, um, rated R 185 rated R opening weekend. Number four currently. Okay. Um, widest R-rated Is it behind opening. Passion, Deadpool 1, Deadpool 2? Uh, that'd be my guess. I don't know. That's, box office <laughs> mojo isn't going that far in okay. me, unfortunately. Um, look, I mean, it's, it is doing very, very well for Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it's going to have a steep drop off. It might. I, there, I have a lot of thoughts about this. I mean, by the nature of us doing this podcast, the nature of me both of us being film people, I don't know if you've been getting a lot of people asking you what your thoughts are. I have. Yeah, I've been getting a lot of people asking me that question. I've had this conversation a lot, so I've been able to practice it, luckily. I have critical things to say about it. Um, I have some broader social things to say about it. I do want to spend a little bit of time up at the front talking about things that I think it did well, because I actually didn't... I think there's a lot of stuff it does well. Yeah, I didn't... We'll, I, say, we'll say right off the bat, mm-hmm. we both didn't like it. I don't think it's a movie that's designed to be liked. I didn't find it entertaining. I didn't, well, uh, I didn't enjoy it. Yes, same. I guess I was mostly entertained by it. Um, Also, I think I have to do this now on air per our agreement. Uh, No, you don't because Joker didn't kill them. No, I lost the bet. I claimed the Joker. So obviously full spoilers Mm -hmm. in this. Um, But right off the bat, one of the spoilers is the Joker... So Joaquin Phoenix's character, Arthur Fleck, does not kill Thomas and Martha Wayne. I made the claim that he was going to. And if I was right, you didn't have to do anything because you never figured it out. Oh, but okay. if I was okay. wrong, I, was the other way okay. I have to acknowledge that The Hangover was, in fact, a Aha. studio comedy. Uh, very topical that we would be talking about that, considering it is the same director, of course, Todd yes. Phillips, who, who kind of got to start doing comedy, specifically The Hangover trilogy. And also was kind of in some flack right now for saying that comedies don't, ex- don't exist we, anymore. That is part of the things, that, one of the things I do want to talk about. We will get to it eventually, but I just had to get it off right out of the bat. I lost the bet. The, fire the confetti cannons. Fire the confetti cannons. It all drops from the ceiling. Oh, fuck. I have to clean all this up now. Sorry, it's the only copyright free song I can get. You were going to sing to me Happy Birthday. You can't do it, but no one wants to pay the Michael Jackson estate for that. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I lost the bet, so I have to declare that the uh, the very obvious comedy hangover hangover is in fact a comedy, a studio comedy, which by all accounts it, it really should have been. I was just you just I was, I was just gonna stubborn. I was just gonna limp away on my dying high horse. Yeah, um, but okay, but I do. I, there are things worth talking about that are good about this movie. Um, I think the thing that everyone has been talking about with good reason is Joaquin Phoenix's performance, which is fantastic. It look, it really, really is good. I mean, I don't know if everyone listening to this has seen this movie or not. If you care about spoilers, obviously go see it in a lot of ways. I don't think there's actually that much to spoil. There, there's kind some of. weird story elements. Yeah, there's some story beats that are would be you maybe are better like to have revealed to you. Yeah, in but time. overall, like you know how it starts, you know how it's gonna yeah. End. But if you're listening to this because you want to hear our thoughts and you don't want to see the movie itself, I don't blame you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a movie I'm recommending. I to will people. probably never watch it again. I think same. Ah, I weirdly, ah, I don't know. I weirdly might. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that. But um, look, I mean, it's worth acknowledging his performance is fucking spectacular. He, because one of the things about the character is that he has this condition that makes him laugh, even though he's not necessarily thinking of funny things. And although it's never stated clearly, it's heavily implied that uh, moments of stress or anxiety or depression or just like really strong, non-warm feelings cause the laughter to happen. So he basically ends up laughing at really inappropriate times. And when we first meet the character, he's like, crying but laughing and it's really jarring and you don't really understand why and they explain it and i will say that like watching him do that watching those scenes where he's clearly experiencing one emotion but laughing at the same time it's really impressive yeah it's, it's painful it's in, it's in most places it's painful i mean it definitely contributes to an overall tone of this movie being very unsettling yeah very unsettling i hated watching this in the theater i would agree with that actually yeah like i uh, so I went and saw it with our friend Jason and also I knew I kind of had to see it for this podcast. It's weird. I keep telling people I have to see it for the podcast. Technically we don't. Yeah, we could just not do an episode on it. We could just not do an episode. We, we could, could not just talk continue about doing Zeta, I guess. We, we just, ke- mm. <laughs> mm. Lesser of two evils, maybe. But look, I, it's weird because I kept referring to this as almost like a journalistic responsibility to go see this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are the press now. We are. You, we are. We are part of the fourth estate. Mm-hmm. Fourth estate? Not state, not a state. Yes. It goes to show what great journalists we are. But, you know, I really, I don't know. I felt like I had to see it. Like, it, it falls into a space that you and I know a lot about, that we have mm-hmm. a lot of opinions on. And we've been I, talking about for over two years now. We have. And, and I really, I genuinely believe, like, three years? You actually. Three years now? Yeah. Like, I, I'm, there have been a lot of movies I've, like, just talked about and criticized that having seen them, but I feel like you, to really effectively have a conversation, a meaningful conversation or something you have to have for a film, you have to have seen it. Yes, exactly. Um, so we did see it. I, if I hadn't known that I had to see it all the way through to actually have like an informed opinion, cause my opinion was going to be going out in a very public forum. I wanted to walk out 30 minutes in or so. Interesting. Was, was there a scene that caused it? Um, cause it, yeah, this movie is very uncomfortable. The whole I, way through. I, I found the first little bit of it really boring and I was just like not feeling it. And I remember the most, the for me, the most visceral moment I had. And I, I honestly don't remember if this is when I was, I think this is when I was very seriously considering walking out. And again, we're going into like plot spoilers here. 
Um, but there's that scene we see in the trailer of him getting beat up by a bunch of the Wall Street guys on the train. Mm-hmm. Um, in the movie, at that point, he's been given a gun by one of his coworkers, and he pulls the gun out and shoots them on the train. Mm-hmm. And I was very upset watching that. Um, it really, really bothered me, actually, to okay. the point where I was very seriously considering leaving because I, I kind of had to like finish it through. I look, I've never. We're getting real heavy real fast here, but it's like... It's a heavy movie. It's a heavy movie. Like, look, I, I have never been uh, near a, a act of public violence. I've never been, like, uh, directly involved in one. Um, I don't know anyone who has been. Um, I mean, I was in a fight. What kind of fight were you in, Cameron? I was in, like, a, like a school fight. I, I fought a kid in high school. How bad was the fight? <laughs> Uh, I tore a leg. I tore a muscle in my leg. Really? Yeah. What kind of damage did he get? Uh, none. He was a hockey player. Who started the fight? I did. What did he do? Threw a basketball in my face. Why the fuck would he do that? Uh, we were playing basketball and, uh, we never really got along very well. Okay. Um, and it was PE time, just kind of horsing around playing games. And I was not, I'm not a great, I love basketball. I'm a bad basketball player. Mm-hmm. And he's just kind of making fun of me. And so he throws the ball in my face a few times. And it finally hits me direct, like square in the face. Yeah. And I go and I try and tackle him. And we have a coach. So there is a teacher present while this is happening. Well, I he's will say that throwing now. basketball at your face. Yes. Yes. And the, t- the, the our school rule was, as long as there's no blood, you don't have to report it. Okay. Which is a very dangerous rule. Yes. Uh, a lot can happen without blood being shed. Yeah. Uh, a lot of emotional stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I, I try and tackle the hockey player who's a good nine inches taller than me. Mm-hmm. Good on you. Yeah. Uh, and I know I'm not going to win like a, like a punching fight. Yeah. And I'm like, I've seen people grapple on TV. I know what I'm doing. Uh, and he just beat the shit out of me. How, like, how many hits did he get in? A couple. Uh, he got a couple. I, I did get him to the ground and I tried to choke him out. And then he just pushed me away. He's like, yeah, this is boring. And he left. And that's, 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 that's in, insult to injury right there. Quite yeah. literally, quite oh, literally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I saw enough adrenaline <laughs> that I stood up. The bell had just rung. And so I had to go put my uniform back on. And I remember trying to put my shoe on and finally the adrenaline leaving my body and my whole leg just going numb. And just shooting pain. And so, like, it takes me 10 minutes to get my shoe on. I'm dripping in sweat. I'm crying. Yeah. I hobble to my next class. And now the panic set in of, like, I just had a fight on school property. I could get expelled for this. And it was my uh, sophomore year. Okay. I'm like, I'm going to get expelled from my high school. I just ruined my college prospects. Yeah, all the fears. Yeah, I just ruined my entire future for this, like, four-minute fight. And so I'm like crying at my desk. Yeah. Oh. Uh, you know, still dripping in sweat. Uh, and the teacher's like, "Are you okay?" And I'm like hyperventilating. It's like you should go to the nurse. And I'm like, I don't want to go to the office. They're gonna know. There's, someone's gonna know. Uh, and so I go to the office. I call my mom. I'm like, I need you to come pick me up. Uh, and everything was fine, obviously. Yeah, you, you're fine. You, you went yeah. to school. You graduated since then? Yeah, I still graduated. No other public fights? No. Uh, no. Okay. No, so did you learn a lesson that maybe violence isn't the answer? No, then I started taking boxing classes. Okay, great. <laughs> great. Oh, so you should love this movie then. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, okay, yeah. Like, I've been in, like, little scraps in there. I, I'm talking about, like, a, like a very, uh, 
very visceral like kind of fight. I, I've never been anything, although like the the pulse shooting in particular a few years ago like really really like hit me hard, especially because it was discovered that that same weekend was LA Pride. I wasn't there. I was home for my brother's birthday, but like they found someone with like guns and bombs out in Santa Monica, and he was planning on going to LA Pride. I'm like, oh, that's where I live, where all my friends are. This is really horrifying. Yeah. Um. So like I I just. I'm not gonna say I have a particular sensitivity, but I do have a sensitivity to like wanton gun violence to the point where I, I recently we watched John Wick chapter two and I actually found it really hard to watch that sequence of the catacombs when he's got the AR-15. Yeah. It was, uh, it just really, really upset me. So mm-hmm. that moment made me want to walk out and I, I decided to stick. Well, I, I, I do um, kind of, I, I do want to bring that up a little bit. Yeah. Um, For all of the press this movie was getting, there's not a lot of violence. No, there's, it's, one, two, three, I think four, s- five people that die, or uh, they get killed. Okay, six the, if we include the mom. So the the okay, the three on the train and and the wins. Yeah, so, okay, so the 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 three on the train. Yep. Uh, the mom mm-hmm. is four. Uh, the other clown. Yep, is five. Uh, Robert De Niro. Yep, six. The and Wayne's Wayne, seven, seven, eight. eight. Okay, so eight, eight people. Oh, and then uh, I guess the psychiatrist at the end is presumed dead yeah which i don't think they should have even shown that i think the movie should have ended with um you just won't get it yeah when she asked what's so funny or no he, he says i'm thinking of a joke like can you share it with me you just wouldn't get it yeah. i think that'd be a great end end line yeah so, i mean so right yeah there. so it's look but there's not a lot of violence but the violence is very very visceral mm-hmm. um well, because the movie feels so real it's very like, this it's is very realism real. to an, like, to and, an extreme and to that end I think be, okay. So I mean, the performance. Everyone's been talking about that, and it is really spectacular. I think the the performances around him are really good too. But I mean, his is by far the standout. I think it did two things well as as a Batman adjacent film. It did two things very well. I actually think this movie really understands the Joker as a character. Okay, like the Joker would be the person who finds the absurdity of life, the sedict like the um like people's really like horrible like evil, seductive natures, amusing mm-hmm. in that regard. So I think that element is really there in the character. Well, I think they show that really well when he's at the comedy club yeah, uh, for the first time and he's taking notes on the other comedians and he's always laugh- laughing at the wrong point. Yeah. It shows like how disconnected just immediately off the bat. He's so disconnected from the real world. Yeah, and like there's an element of, is it the condition or is an element of like he just doesn't quite understand it. And, and I think that aspect of him of being this, um, of just looking at the world from this very skewed, um, perspective makes a lot of sense. And I think maybe that particular element of the Joker is done best here across um, like any of the major movies, at least. Mm-hmm. So I think they actually really understood that character really well. And I think far, far better than the suicide version of the Joker, which I, I think I've made this come before. It's basically just a guy named that could be named Joe. Yeah. It's just some random gangster who happens to have like a bunch of really sh- superficial accoutrement of the Joker. Well, what, what his last, cause those last name has to start with K E R. Yeah. Kern. Joe Kirkpatrick. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. The long lost brother of of the the NSYNC member. What? Chris, Chris Kirkpatrick. Chris Kirkpatrick. You've already lost me. <laughs> he was the voice of Chip Skylark. From a fairly odd parents. Oh, the Crimson Chin? No. No. Chris Sky- Chip Skylark was, was the, the singer. Yeah. Shiny oh, okay. Teeth and Me. Okay. Oh, that's right. Okay, that's right. Okay, yeah, I forgot about that. Shiny teeth that twinkle, just like the stars in space. I'm so glad you're here to keep this light because I'm going real. <laughs> I'm going real intense right from the beginning. Um, I think they understood the joke really well. I think they actually understood Gotham really well. Like, yeah, I, I, 
would want to see a Batman movie set in this version of Gotham. It's so interesting to see the Waynes as the villains. That I didn't we, like quite so much. You didn't? No. I, I didn't like the the familial tie-in, like them trying to say that Joker may be related to Which, Bruce. Right, and I, I guess... I didn't like that, but I did like the idea of you have this... Because they basically set him up as Lex. He's this billionaire yeah. in the city who's trying to who says he's going to do good for the city. We know as audience members that he, you know, we've been told for the past 80 years that Thomas was trying to do good for the city. Yeah. But now we're seeing that from their perspective he's not doing anything or not doing enough. Right. I I thought that was fascinating. I look, I mean, I think it's a a really interesting perspective to ha- I think it's a very modern perspective to have. Mm-hmm. I think the Dark Knight and the Dark Knight Rises have some really problematic themes in them. One of them being that the Dark Knight basically makes the claim that the ends justify the means and uh, it, it, Batman has some fascist elements to the way he approaches crime. Mm-hmm. Um, but like he ends up having to make a sacrifice because of that choice. And so it, it also kind of pulls back on that commentary a little bit. And the Joker as this force of like anarchy and this, again, like believing in people's sadistic nature is proven wrong in the dark Knight because mm-hmm. people ultimately choose to do the right thing. So it's a weirdly optimistic movie, despite going to those places. I think the dark Knight rises, um, essentially sets up the, the disparity caused by political inequality and those on the lesser end of it as the villains. Yeah. And the, the only person that can save the day is a, a billionaire who now also becomes like broke. It, that, there's some problem problematic elements there. This movie basically takes the opposite approach, which yeah. is like the the wealthy are contributing to the problems in society and are to blame for a lot of it. Which, if we're being perfectly honest, is true mm-hmm. in a lot of ways for the world. I think they definitely set up Thomas to be a slightly Trumpian esque character. I don't think that they go full. I don't, I don't see him as a Trump character. I just saw him as like a political. Person, I get generic. Yeah. Well, so uh, he is, but I guess the w- where I see the Trump connection here, my God, this is already like the most serious podcast we've ever done. That's. I mean, it's. A, it's. <laughs> I knew it was going to be. Yeah, I, I was kind of like emotion preparing myself for this. Like, but the way I, the reason I say that is that he is a a incredibly wealthy figure who is very disconnected from uh, the world around him, particularly like the, the reality around him, who has some uh, potentially less than honorable romantic and sexual dealings in his past who then also presumably but it's heavily implied by one moment at the end that i actually didn't catch it had to be pointed out to me and then of course he decides that he's the only person who can then solve the problems by running for office Mm -hmm. so i I pull a lot of stuff from there that stuff from there i think one of the major problems with the film is that it has a very muddled sense of morality and message Okay, so I'm kind of curious what you what you thought about um, it's like. Did you read a political statement at all in the movie? Not really. Okay. Uh, I mean, I if if I like if someone told me like you need to make a like find a political statement yeah. as I could. Okay. But it, it I didn't feel like I was overwhelmed with like a message. Okay. I I don't think I was either. I think it's very. Like I said, it's very muddled that it's whatever sense of like morality or message it has. And maybe it doesn't have one, but it also kind of does in some ways. And by the name, so, I mean, I guess for those of you who haven't seen, essentially what ultimately boils down to is uh, 
Arthur Fleck is just has a real shit life. He like works as a clown by day because he's trying to become a stand up comedian. Um, like, you know, the f- opening sequence is a bunch of kids like deciding to steal a sign and beat the crap out of him. And then his boss blames him for losing the sign. And like one of his coworkers gives him a gun and he's taking care of his mom who is really sick. Um, or maybe not that sick, but like not necessarily in the best of health. And yeah. he's obsessed with Thomas Wayne and how like if he keeps writing, she keeps writing these letters like, oh, if only he knew all the 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 horrible life we're living he would do something about it and so because she's so obsessed with thomas wayne she's not only paying attention to arthur who feels very invisible yeah um and then his co-worker gives him a gun after he gets beat up he drops it he he brings it with him to a children's hospital mm-hmm. i think that might have been the moment that i was really tempted to walk out there was a lot of time moments yeah i that that one that one was weird that one it was again really painful and but it's effective Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's worth noting the filmmaking in this movie is actually pretty good. Yeah. I think it knew what it wanted to be and it actually does succeed at being that thing. I think what it wants to be, though, is problematic. And I'll get into that more later. Yeah. My, my problem with, with him is they want us to see him at rock bottom. Yeah. But you can't show the bottom without showing the drop. Yeah. And so the beginning felt muddled for me because we just already see the character at rock bottom. Yeah. And he just can't get any worse. So everything that happens is just this baseline of awful. Yeah. It's like everything about his life is awful. And just, and some of the moments just don't feel earned a little bit. Like, so he now has this, this gun, he drops it at the children's hospital. And what is a horrible, horrible scene. Like not a bad, like not a bad scene, but just really hard to watch scene. He ultimately gets fired from his job. And I think it's, it's after he gets fired, he's back on the subway home, right? And yeah, that's, that's when he's that's when he's assaulted. Yeah, so the, there's three like drunk Wall Street guys who are kind of harassing this woman, and she gives uh, Arthur this look, kind of, like it's a little bit pleading, like, "Can you please do something? Can you please help?" And again, because he's uncomfortable, he starts laughing. So then that and the guys like are just giving him shit. They start beating him up. And oh, so so he also has a card yes. that says, I have a condition. I'm yeah. not laughing at you. And he... It's a, it's, it's a mental yeah. problem that I have. And I, I think either... I, I We don't actually see the woman he shows it to on the bus give it back to him. So maybe she accidentally kept it or whatever reason. He doesn't pull oh, no, it. He, he just never reaches for his wallet. I don't yeah. think he ever has time to. Or he, he tries to and they kind of like knock his hand away and they start beating the crap out of him. But like what I wasn't... Expe- I mean, I don't know if you were expecting it, but at a certain point, he just pulls out a gun and shoots one of them. Yeah. Yeah, that... that did take me by surprise and it was it's really it's really jarring and really intense and i think for me what took it to another level is so he defends himself and then they get to another station and like the last remaining guy who like got like shot in the leg or something like that is like limping away arthur follows him and then it's like shoots him in cold blood mm-hmm. like on the steps and then for me that was what was super super troubling and then he goes off into a bathroom and basically like starts dancing. Like he's finally like discovered himself and he's finally free. Mm-hmm. And well, my thing, my thing with how creepy that was is that's when he stopped laughing. Yeah. Is the second, cause you hear him laughing this whole time. He's getting beaten up, kicked. He's kicked to the ground. He's like, he's kicked on the kicked ground twice to the ground, to the ground twice within the first like 20 minutes of this movie. Yeah. It happens. Uh, and he's laughing through this whole thing. And then the second the gunshot goes off, that's when the laughing stops. Yeah. Like that is what has calmed his nerves, his murder. Yeah. And so, it, and in that moment, it just, it, it took me by surprise, which again, I, I, it's deliberate. I mean, I think it's deliberately meant to be like really shocking and like troubling, but like 
like I wanted to leave. Like, I wanted to get out of the theater. Like I was like really, really bothered by it. Mm-hmm. And w- the problem then goes from there is that th- now he's like discovered himself. Like now he feels like now he has confidence. He has confidence. So he like goes and like the neighbor he had like a brief little exchange with, and he like he's oh, I hated this. Well, yeah, he stalked at one point, and then like he just goes to her door and starts kissing her, and she's into it. And then like she's presented as like a, a relationship for him, mostly mm, through the a film. A comforting figure. Comforting figure all the way through the film. And you're always wondering, like, why what is she seeing this? What is going on? And then eventually we come to realize um he's been hallucinating it. Mm-hmm. It's all been a figment, yeah. I, I'm glad they added that in there. Same. Um I'm it was all, it was a great twist. Like, it, I it was. I wasn't expecting it. And to me, like that's actually a really good filmmaking. Like objectively, yeah. it's a good filmmaking moment. I'm also glad when he finally like goes full on Joker persona that he doesn't kill her. There were rumors at one point when the script leaked that he killed her in some way. I don't know if they cut it out or not. I'm really glad that if there was a version of it, it didn't up in it didn't end up in the theatrical yeah, version. Same. I, I would have. Been... I, I I think they ended her character perfectly. Yeah, because um, her because basically he kills his mom, and that's kind of his the the break like the finish of the snap yeah and then he sneaks into her apartment after we see them he, he sneaks into the, the neighbor's apartment yeah uh, zz beats zz yeah. beats who's again he's really really Amazing. really good in this and in very few scenes she does a lot and it's really good yeah. so so far we've seen her she was the neighbor that kind of shown him some kindness yeah and, uh and they, they they made they were, out a bit yeah, they were in the elevator and like the daughter basically just kept repeating stuff back to the to zazie beats the mom and so she like makes it like just mimes like the idea of like oh my god like i'm gonna put a gun in my head and like shoot myself mm-hmm. and arthur kind of like does that back to her and then when he goes he's like he keeps flashing back to that moment after he's killed the mom mm-hmm. and it it seems like that's where it's possibly going to go is that he's going to kill her. Um, and we just don't, don't see it happen. Oh no. I always saw that as he was getting, that, that was the start of him wanting to kill himself. I, n- I never saw any connection of him wanting to kill her. Oh, okay. I guess cause I'd heard that rumor in, ahead of time. That's why I was worried it was going. Okay. So I was glad that it no, that, that never really even crossed my mind. Okay. Um, but yeah, so, but essentially after he kills the guys on the train, it's, Everyone's talking about the fact that these three Wall Street guys, like these like douchebag money guys, were killed by a guy dressed in clown makeup. And so the city basically, or like the, the press basically decides, like, oh, are, is this guy a vigilante? Like, and this part I didn't really buy into that it very it goes pretty quickly from being a like killer clown on the subway to like a vigilante in a clown costume. Mm-hmm. Which I didn't really buy. And then someone interviews Thomas Wayne on the news. He's like, oh, of course it was, because all these like poor people are just clowns, and so that inspires then this like clown movement to rise up into the city. There, there was there's something that we've talked about that we used to talk about a lot when we were still talking BTOS, mm-hmm. and it was why henchmen are henchmen. Okay, and I think this movie we see it. It's yeah, like a little they're bit. not henchmen. They they idolize these guys. Yeah, because they because they they are you know these poor these downtrodden the unemployed the 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 bottom bracket yeah and they just want something to believe in and the joker in their eyes is now this anarchist figure who's taken the rich into his own hands yeah it's like i i came from nothing or they assume he came from nothing and now he's handling the problem in his own way he's he's he had he's achieved results yeah where thomas is not the the other politicians have not yeah it's like Okay, I I see I, I I liked that aspect of it of like I get henchmen now. Yeah, and like 
Yeah, that's a good point, actually. That it, it sort of acknowledged the idea of like how people can rally behind these figures for the wrong reasons, mm-hmm. but to them it seems right. Yeah, and I think we can we can change the word henchman to almost like cult follower. Like acolytes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think if we start looking at it that way, like it really changes the perspective of henchmen in the stuff we're watching now. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Mm-hmm. And it so but it, it the movie sets him up as being a heroic figure of sorts. Like the, the movie simultaneously is actively portraying him in a very unkind way. Like we're not meant to agree with any of the things that he does. Like I, I think that the the movie is deliberately unsettling and deliberately like grotesque mm-hmm. to make us not like him. But I think part of the problem is the characters in the world that do support him and do um, believe in his actions and vindicate his actions. Nothing happens to them, but any of the characters that push back and are like, you're not funny. I mean, like the best example is of course, Robert De Niro. He ends up on De Niro's show as basically what's one presumes going to be some sort of like setup bit to make fun of the Joker, but he comes in full on makeup and he starts telling like jokes. It's like, what was it? It's like, Oh, that's, knock knock who's there it's the police your son was killed by a drunk driver right yeah. and it's like no one laughs because it's not funny and robert nero calls him out it's like that's not funny that's just horrible and mean and the joker's like well you just don't get the joke yeah comedy is subjective comedy is subjective just like the same way you decide what's good or bad is subjective comedy is subjective and for me that's when i was really starting to get bothered by this movie okay um because i i thought that was that was the point when I feel like he became the Joker. I, and was, I was, agree. I, you, I think we, before he, he was still in transition when he was getting the look down, he's walking around, he's doing the weird dance Yeah. that I wanted, I wanted someone to, uh, composite the Spider-Man three dance with the Joker <laughs> dance and have them just like side by side. Oh, someone will, someone's going to, uh, turn around and put that to, uh, Staying alive. Was it staying alive? Was no, that... but I think that'd be a great yeah, one. Yeah, someone's someone's going to go and put it in staying alive at some point. Um, uh, no, because when, he, when he's like, because before he is on this, so he gets a call before the Joker transformation that in a week he is going to be on his favorite show, Murray. Yeah, because he, he has a whole dream sequence of imagining like being on in the audience on Murray's show and getting pulled out of the stands and Murray being like, this father, father figure to him is super supportive and encouraging him. Mm-hmm. Like this dream of his being on the show and, and, um, from his bad stand-up set, a clip is played, and then they want to do a follow-up bit, and he's going to end up being on the show. Yeah, and so he's still not in Joker yet. Yeah, and I think it's—I think it is that moment when Murray says, "That's not funny." I think that's the last, like, the snap. That's when he's like, "I am the Joker. Yeah, I am funny. You're not funny. I'm funny." Yeah, and that was his like. For me, I'm like, "Fuck, that's." The Joker is and, here. And and I agree with that. I think in that moment, like, that's one of the most character-accurate portrayals of the Joker on screen. I mean, it reminded me a lot, and I'm sure this is very deliberate, of the scene from The Dark Knight Returns. I was going to bring that up, yeah. The comic, yeah, when he's on the, like, the, like the Conan O'Brien, basically, show, and he's, like, not being funny, not cracking a smile, and then he, like, murders everyone in the audience. And this version is more specific, and he just pulls a gun and... and uh, shoots Murray in the head. Mm-hmm. But I would agree, like, in that moment, like, he is genuinely terrifying and unpredictable 
and which you know, is the Joker, which is the Joker, and like you and I have both acknowledged, our favorite version of the Joker is obviously the animated series ones, Mark Hamill's, and one of the best things about him is that you believe that he can be violent because he's so all over the place. Because mm-hmm. he'll pull a gag and then he'll turn dark in an instant, and it's the the unexpected element of him that makes him so good as a Joker. And I think this is maybe the best on-screen version of that. Absolutely. I fully agree. Whereas I would say that the Nicholson one is much more of like, he's just a gangster. He's just a gangster with a persona. Mm-hmm. And the the Dark Knight is very much this object of anarchy. But he really is meant, he's just an antithesis to Batman and the Joker fit well in that persona. Um, and he like, well, pull gags like that. And he's a little bit surprising and he's a little bit crazy and unexpected. But like, he never... You never feel scared, I feel like, around Heath Ledger's Joker. Yeah, you, I mean... I mean, maybe a little bit in the scene when he's at the the, um, the fundraiser, the Dent fundraiser in the penthouse, a little bit. I'm just trying to remember, like, what my thoughts were when seeing that movie for the... Because I've seen it so many times now. Yeah. Like, it's hard to remember what it's like before seeing this movie, like, our my, my thought of the Joker. Yeah. But, yeah, I guess so. Like, he, he was just... Someone who, yeah, like you said, did someone gotten Batman's way? Yeah, he he's he's you know a tactician like that great opening sequence. He's like picking everyone off, mm-hmm. um, which I did like that little callback with the mask. Yeah, yeah, that's no, that was a good call. Like, and there's like again, there's some good stuff in here. But yeah, I, I feel like when he does turn, that is him at the at the most Joker ever. And I mean, again, speaking of the fact that they really. They understand that oh, character. Nine kills. Uh, the police officers kill the Joker in the subway train. Oh right, yeah, there's the one. Yeah, one, the one um, protester. Yeah, is killed. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and then I guess the cops in the car that are hit by the ambulance. I think they're. Oh pretty, yeah, I'm yeah, pretty yeah, sure yeah. They're dead. Mm-hmm. So, but I mean, relatively low body count, all things considered. Yeah, I mean, lower than I'd say even some of the other Batman movies, possibly. But the particular acts of violence are really extreme. The 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 shooting on the subway, I think, was the most troubling for me because it is, it's just, it's, it's very real. It's a thing that could, well, it's because it it's, could happen. Yeah, yeah, it can happen. But also, since this is, it has the R rating, whenever we see someone get shot in any other Batman movie, they kind of fall off screens. We never yeah. see the impact. Yeah, and here is this. We not only see it, it's focus. It's, it's in focus. It's very visceral. Yeah, um, they cut out the sound. Yeah. And you, you can only focus on that thing. Yeah. Like, you know, when, when he shoots Murray in the head and the body, like we just hold on Robert Nero with a, a very obvious gunshot wound on his face, mm-hmm. like slumped in his chair for a, a good while. Um, and they take time to show the panic around the violence. Yeah. And Joker is still just sitting there. He's still sitting there and he's calm amongst all the panic. And like that all feels very real. And I think, for me, if this movie were an indie film, almost like you take the exact same movie, you pull out the IP element of it. Yes, exactly. You pull out the IP, you make it an indie film, and if it's a movie that is designed to be really, really unpleasant and it is designed to make you feel uncomfortable and designed to make you worry and be troubled by this, I, I'm I'm really focusing on the gun violence, but for me that was the hardest part, really on that violence... I think it's very, very effective. Mm-hmm. But I think because it's an IP film, because it's a studio film that was given a huge budget and has made already 200 and I mean, by the time this weekend's over, probably $250 million, it's going to be a box office success. Mm-hmm. I think it completely undercuts 
all those elements of it. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's meant to be, at the end of the day, that is a film that is designed to be entertaining and consumed and be successful. And I think that erodes whatever potential constructive commentary could be in there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so talking about the IP aspect of it, until they said the word Gotham, I completely forgot this wasn't yeah. New York. Yeah. Uh, and I was surprised. I, the way they handle Thomas minus the relationship part, I think is interesting and, and they handle that decently. Yeah. But I think they could, they could have gone this whole time without using the Waynes. And I, kinda, I, I think I would have preferred them. I, not I, I would have preferred that too, actually. I think it would have been interesting if this existed in that time after Thomas is shot and you have these new people trying to fill that void of power. Yeah. Not just the mafia guys, but you have these other, these other businessmen and politicians that are like, well, we can't let that murder, you know, kind of make it about the murder aspect. So yeah, yeah the movie starts with Thomas just got murdered. Yeah. Uh, and so now the politicians are saying like, we can't let this kind of violence exist in our city. And now the, the lower classes outrage because like, well, we deal with this every day. Yeah. One of you got shot. We lose one of us an hour and no one cares. Yeah. And I think that could have, and you know, that's also incredibly topical right now. No, it is. And, and it's funny, not funny, but like you, you mentioned that that's a, a big part of Batman Begins. As you may mm -hmm. recall, is like Rachel Lee makes a comment about after the murder of the Waynes, like the, the rich and powerful galvanized into protecting themselves at the expense of everyone around us. And I mean, that is an overly simplistic perspective to have. And it, it basically forgives the wealthy for their contributions to income inequality and the disparity. But at least then that would have, I don't know. I agree with you. I think it would have made it a little bit more interesting. Mm -hmm. So I think, I mean, I, I don't believe this is a, a DC universe that is designed to eventually have a Batman in it in some ways. Yeah. No, I mean, obviously Bruce watches the murders happen, but part of the thing is, is that Bruce always saw his parents as being figures, like inspirational figures. Like he knew they were trying to do right by the city and it's for him, it's an, a random act of violence that took out good people that motivates him to go and then try and stop that from happening for somebody else. Right? Exactly, it's like, yeah. You know, it takes one bad night with a man with a gun to ruin someone's life, and his objective is to stop that from happening at his own personal sacrifice. Mm -hmm. This movie has the exact opposite moral and ethical perspective, which is the murder of the Waynes is kind of justified given everything that's going on the man who does it is inspired by a vigilante to make it happen that way. Yeah. And so what, like what could well, go? Cause the Joker. So we always understand the Joker saying is all it takes is one bad day. Yeah. Where I think when we see this version, I think it, it changes to all it takes is one action. And I think that's kind of the rally call of these P of, of the, the acolytes. Yeah. It's like, I just have to do something, anything. Well, and yeah, and then I change the world. Exactly. And I think what's super troubling about this movie is one, like it does, it has a really unhealthy look and mental illness. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. It basically, I think it, 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 it like it makes the claim basically that being troubled if we're going to, if we can differentiate slightly is the same as being mentally ill mm -hmm. and like, look, I've never had to deal with my life, any sort of personal mental illness of myself or anyone super close to me. And I'm very lucky in that regards, but I mean, it is not like mental illness does not immediately beget violence. Right. And this movie is basically making the claim that, uh, someone like, cause the whole thing is the mom may have had an affair with Thomas Wayne, the 
Arthur Fleck, maybe Thomas Wayne's son. He says it's Thomas says it's not the case, but then I I didn't catch this. Someone pointed out to me that uh, Arthur holds up a photo of his mom, and on the back it's like I love your smile, T W. Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't catch that. So that sort of is kind of implying that it in fact is his son, and so that then implies that you know the whole thing about the mom um, being accused of being like not a schizophrenic, um, being like troubled and violent and stuff like that. That and making all these things up, these delusions that that was all manufactured to keep her quiet from about this affair. And she had a really shitty life. So then she passed along that abuse to her son, who is now passing that abuse along. And it basically treats mental illness like a virus. Mm-hmm. That if you have a mental, like if someone does something bad to you, you are then all of a sudden mentally ill. And you're going to do something bad to someone else and they're going to become mentally ill. He, she passed along to Arthur, who then inspires all these people, who then, those people then kill Batman. And now Bruce is the next in this line, this inherited line of quote-unquote mental illness. And that's not what this is. Right. Like, Arthur is a troubled person. He lives a really terrible life. And he, I think he does have some mental illness issues, but there's a difference between being mentally ill and having a shitty job and getting mugged on the street multiple times and, like, you know, his, his stand-up set getting broadcast on public television, him getting made fun of in such a public manner, like, these are all things that happen to him. They're not part of his mental illness, whatever that may be. Mm-hmm. And... Because they also make make sure it's always very broad. Yeah. They never say what's wrong with him. Right. And but they, they, we also just know that maybe even the doctors don't know what's wrong. They just, they just throw pills at him. Yeah, there's like, oh, take a bunch of medication, you'll be fine. And, and you know... And he, I, he even makes that point when he's with his... Uh, with his social worker, uh, when it's their last session, he's like, "You don't listen to me. Yeah. You you sit here and ask me the same." And I think it was even in the trailer. Yeah. You sit here and ask me the same questions every time I'm here. How's my job? How's my life? Am I happy? I'm not happy. All I th- all I have is dark yeah, thoughts. Yeah, do I have never thoughts? thoughts? I only have yeah. negative thoughts. Yeah. And you know, and I, to be fair, like, and this was pointed out to me by uh, a listener, Brian Day, who I was messaging a little bit about the film, and you know, he pointed out that the, the Joker's mental illness has never been. Um, definitively explained. I think that's true across the comics. Like we don't really know what's actually wrong with him. And in this, they hinted that he had brain damage. Yeah, maybe. So he maybe was like he was beat by his a, mom and the boyfriend. Yeah, they, yeah. I think they focused it more on the boyfriend. Yeah, but I mean, the, I think the mom. It was said the mom contributed. Like she tied him to a radiator, or the boyfriend tied him to a radiator. I, it's yeah, unclear. she. It's I think it said that she let him be tied to the radiator. Okay, yeah, and he like he just never complained about it or whatever. So just let it happen. But mm-hmm. uh, and I I agree with that statement that across multiple iterations of Joker, if he does have some sort of mental illness, it's never really addressed because also in a lot of ways, just Batman villains have really problematic perspective on mental illness yeah but i i would say that in this movie specifically they're conflating that with being troubled and him having a very troubled life and ultimately what the movie is saying is if you live a troubled existence if you hate your life if you feel invisible if you have a public act of violence people will Start seeing you. Yeah, we'll, you'll we'll feel better. Yeah, you. We'll recognize you. You'll feel better about yourself, and it'll be inspiring, and you'll live a much better life. And I mean, the movie is basically saying. I mean, I, would you agree with ultimately that's what the movie is saying? Is a that, little bit, yeah. And I, to me, that is what ultimately makes it very, very problematic for me because it, it's not a cautionary tale. Like I was listening to. I think I may have mentioned it last week. I was listening to the uh, the Empire Film Podcast you know, 
put a dollar what in the, the Empire Film Podcast jar. Where can we find that? Uh, it's on iTunes. Uh, okay. it's, it's really it's really, really good. Film, British mm. film journalist, super funny. Also okay. hosted by someone named Chris. Are you, is this like a new podcast you said I'll sing to? Oh, no, it's, it's been around for quite some time. Okay, uh, okay. You know, like, a six, like 380 episodes of this. It's really good. That's really fine. Good. But they, they were... T- they were <laughs> one of the, the hosts was made a comment about how the movie might be a cautionary tale. And the rebuttal of that was it's been nowhere in any of the trailers or mm-hmm. in the materials. And I don't think it's in the movie itself. I think the, the cautionary side of it is, is general knowledge that Joker is a crazy villain. But but, I, but yeah, but then you come to the problem of, well, that's still you know it goes back to Joker's thing of like that's subjective. It yeah it it is subjective. He, he is bad, but he's known. He's known, and, that, and that's that's the and, that's the danger. And I, so there's the Joker outside of this film who is ultimate beloved character i mean you you gave me that awesome statue uh from comic-con of like the joker on like the rail car like the the um the runaway roller coaster car and, like it's prominent displayed on my on my wall it's the animated version of the joker we love him people love that as a character people dress up as him you know certain versions caesar romero is a good example i'd say the animated series one as well is like they're funny like people love that character so there's already a mystique and a prestige around him and a love for a evil character this version of that character is pushed to a really really far completely unlikable extreme but then also within the context of the movie there are moments when they make him look cool Mm -hmm. like you know he has a swagger walk he has a swagger walk and look and like in you know that's like the the poster is him in full uh joker gear on that staircase like doing a dance in the trailer it's very prominent in the marketing i'll be honest it's a good scene it's in the movie. It's a great like, shot. It's very beautiful. It is. I, I can't remember the name of that song, but it's always like the song I think of like the Happy Gilmore, like the da na na hey da Oh, like, yeah, the generic yeah. sports song. But it honestly, like, it's a really amazing piece of music with visual and story. Like, we, I've talked about it before. I'm a sucker for that. Mm-hmm. It's a good moment. And you're watching that going like, this is a cool fucking sequence. And the fact that it's cool is problematic. Because... It's a form of glorifying mm-hmm. a really extreme, particularly troubling interpretation in this period of time. Yes, I, I, I agree with all that. But at the same time, I think we are giving entertainment too much power in that sense. We're like, this isn't the first time. I, I think it's, it's very socially powerful because we are in a time where that is top of that is the first political topic most people think of right now yeah. is gun violence. But so, you, you can wean this back to natural born killers, boondock saints even, oh, where you I mean, have these, look, where they yeah. glorify murder. And look, and there, there's a long, long history of it. We are now living in a time, though, where gun violence, mass shootings, gun violence is super prevalent. It fucking happened today in Kansas City. Um, really? Yeah. Shit, hold on. Okay, it looks like... My friends are okay. 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 Yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. Um, fuck. Sorry, what were we talking about? We, sorry, I had to take a brief pause because I had to like... Sorry, I, yeah. I, I didn't know that happened. So I, I, yeah, I had to I check mean, up on my friends real quick. Making, making a point, I pointed out that a, as of recording today, a shooting happened in Kansas City and obviously you lived there for a number of years, so you just had to take a quick moment to check in. Um, oh my god, this, <laughs> this is really fucking intense. Do we want to talk about the the bad oh, wait, parts of the movie? Hang on, <laughs> hang on. I'm, uh, I'm 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 winding towards a, a conclusion on all of this. Okay. <sighs> okay. So 
but we live in a particularly tr- like we live in a time where mass shootings are really really frequent more so than they were when stuff like natural born killers is coming out the boondock saints although look there's always an argument to be made that these things contribute on some level like mm-hmm. i i think for good reason you and i are both in entertainment because we believe in the ability of entertainment to stories to change the world for stories to tell yeah like i don't know who said it eventually but like someone some famous quote is based like the the greatest thing about fiction is you can tell truth through lies right mm-hmm. And I really believe in Let's the... Let's give it to Charlie Chaplin. Let's say Charlie Chaplin. Famous silent movie star, <laughs> Charlie Chaplin, probably said it at some point. But I really believe in that thing. You know, I, I've been lucky in the past to, like, work for companies and, uh, you know, even, I would say even the present, like, work for places that believe in that ethos as well and uh, the positive, the good that come out of it. I remember, I think I've told this story before, um, I got to go see a screening of Love, Simon at mm. the Fox lot and Greg Berlanti was there and I basically had a equipment and the comment part of my question was you know how much that movie meant to me because my family's not going to go watch brokeback mountain they're not going to go watch you know uh, like a more intense yeah, gay drama netflix yeah. series yeah but you know what they might watch this movie they might watch love simon as a result of watching that movie they might understand me better and so i i really genuinely do believe in the the ability of film to influence people and i think sometimes that is for the worse um I mean, I agree with you. We're giving a lot of credit, but we already have evidence of this in the past. I mean, there was the Aurora shooting in 2012 mm-hmm. as part of the Dark Knight Rises audience screening that, you know, the the shooter acknowledged that he was inspired by the Joker on some level to do this. And that was a version of the Joker that was nowhere near as extreme as the one we had in the movie today. Yeah. Um, I think we have a lot of people, particularly in this country, to some degree realistically to some degree manufacturing their own mind of feeling invisible i think invisibility is a big thing it's a really it's a it's a time where we are more exposed to things than ever but in that exposure we do can feel very minimalized yeah yeah and the world feels so big now it's in the world feeling super big it's hard not to feel really small and especially with social media where we can put a number to how visible i am yeah i got 10 likes exactly my friend got 72 yeah. likes and it's they're 62 more visible than i am. yeah it's it's a real thing and i think as a culture we're figuring out how to deal with that but there are people who deal with it the wrong way which is to find visibility in these really public acts mm-hmm. of violence particularly with guns and that is exactly what happens in this movie and the, yeah there's a, a a news person that i watch on you that i've been watching for 10 years 10 plus years now Phil DeFranco. Mm-hmm. Oh, who, yeah. We, I think we talked about him on the podcast before. Yeah, who, who's made, years ago, made a, a very public stance of like, if there's a mass shooting, I will cover it, but I will never say the person's name and I will never show their photo from this point yeah. on. And he, he is stuck by that for five yeah. years now. And I, I think that is a, a really healthy, effective response. I mean, whatever response there can be, that's a good way of approaching it. And look, everyone's going to read in whatever they want on this. Like, I came away from it being really troubled by what felt like a glorification of gun violence and i think i do have maybe an extra sensitivity to it that being said it it's not a stretch of the imagination to think that there are people who are going to look at this as justification inspiration Mm -hmm. as the template as a template i mean like well you know i think we really do because we're all so big and so crazy i think the things that we escape into become that much more powerful and we have talked about it in the past of the really toxic fan cultures that have built around Star Wars. And I legitimately do not know why, but DC seems that more than Marvel has that has this problem. 
And you and I are both bigger DC fans than Marvel fans. At the end of the day, this is a fucking DC podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have like one bit of Marvel memorabilia <laughs> on this this wall over here. Otherwise, it's pretty much all Batman. Yeah. Everything's Batman. I love DC. I love all these characters. Um, and see what what is your Marvel? Uh, it's Doctor Strange's Lego set oh, is okay. up there, yeah, and then yeah, actually, yeah, the, uh, yeah, the, the, the right. Hulkbuster and then uh, the Black Panther's ship are up there too. But for the most most part, it's all D, it's all DC. Mm-hmm. And I think we've been lucky that the people that we've engaged with as a result of doing this podcast are the fans like us who love these things for what they are and mm-hmm. recognize when you know like some of the DC films just like frankly aren't particularly good. Yeah, but. There is a particular form of toxic culture that, for whatever reason, I, I'm not going to try and find a justification for why, but exists around DC films. And I don't think this film is pandering to those people, but I think this adds fuel to their fire mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And I had to look up this term because I hadn't I had heard it referenced. I know what it means. You know what incel culture is? I do know what incel culture is. Yeah. <sighs> incel- this, is the, this is the kind of fucking research I was doing for this podcast. Yeah. Um, so for those of you who don't know, or I don't know if you want to explain it. No, I'll tell you. Okay. So I looked this up last night. So it's, it's a portmanteau, one of my favorite grammatical devices of involuntary celibates. So essentially like people who aren't getting sexual gratification in their life and express that frustration through often like resentment, misogyny, misanthropy, self-pity, self-loathing, racism, um, homophobia, entitlement, um, yeah, they, they they get attention through negative acts. Exactly. Yeah, and I, it, it, it's the epitome of any press is good press. Yeah, exactly. And I I think that particular subgroup of internet culture, which basically everyone acknowledges, is also tied to white supremacy culture. Look where we've gone with this. Well, I mean, it it, it, <laughs> it I, I think it it goes beyond because there, there there have been other names for. It. There's been the neckbeards. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, no good name. That's the other problem. Well, There's then, never yeah, been I mean, a good name yeah, for it's, it. It's, you know, it's the neckbeard, the nice guys. Yeah. The, I, I think I've used this phrase before, the, the nice guy misogynist, the guy who like, oh, I'm so nice to women, so I should totally, they should love me as a result. Like, no, it, 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 yeah, works. it's that. It's the, uh, it's, no, I was, I did, you know, I did something nice for you. Why won't you sleep with me? Yeah. Mentality. Exactly. Um, the people who feel like they, because they're not getting sex, they're owed it in some sort of capacity. And that culture is... Again, I don't know why for every reason tied a lot with like the toxic side of DC culture. And it, mm-hmm. it's often expressed through misogyny. And I mean, a lot of that I blame on rom-coms. But that, that's a whole no, nother, that, yeah, we, that's a whole another thing. We've discussion. talked about that. Yeah. That's a whole that's a whole <laughs> that's a whole separate thing. There's a lot of places for it to go, but it whatever reason it manifests itself here. And I just I think this is an irresponsible film to make and release in the world we are in now. Yeah. Um, and I know that's a really big, broad, sweeping statement. And look, for those of you who are listening, or maybe even have ducked out at this point, maybe you've left this podcast. If you're still we here, wouldn't, yeah, we wouldn't, we wouldn't blame you. I wouldn't blame you. If you're still here, look, I, I don't blame you. We're only you, two minutes for that view. Exactly. <laughs> that's all we need. A little bit of top. Yeah, we're fine. We, just, we just need that data. As long as you downloaded it, it all really matters. That's true. Look, yeah. Look, I don't expect you to agree with me on this. I am open to hearing other opinions. I, as much as I possibly can, I always try and gravitate towards the positive side of things, not the negative. And I, I tried up front to acknowledge things that I did like about the movie because there were some. Um, I walked out of this movie being really, really upset. And I don't like that it exists. I don't like that it's doing so well. Because mm-hmm. in my mind, it being successful undercut, like undercuts 
the fact that you shouldn't enjoy it. A, yeah. a successful movie basically implies that everyone loved it. Um, and I don't think it's a movie that's meant to and, be And enjoyed. the last time I checked Rotten Tomatoes, the critic score is floating around 65 70%, but the viewer score is floating like 99%. And, and I and think that's, that's, that's a that's yeah. A, like I, this is a movie that I think is made for. In my opinion, this is a movie that everyone should hate. I agree. And I look. And if that was his intent, I would have found it successful. Mm-hmm. That's clearly not its intent. It is a movie that is meant to be seen and enjoyed and to make a fuckload of money. Yeah. And I think that's ultimately its its problem. And I I a lot of the press around it hasn't been great either. I think. Look, I mean, Joaquin Phoenix's performance is really, really fucking good. And I, I'm going to go with the... I, I want to think the best of people. I, I think he had intentions of this being a cautionary tale. Mm-hmm. I don't think Todd Phillips felt the same way. I don't think so either. Um, and uh, I specifically point to a Vanity Fair interview he did where he basically talked about why he left comedies. And the, the quote here is like, go try to be funny nowadays with this woke culture. Uh, there are articles written about why comedies don't work anymore. I'll tell you why. Because all the fucking funny guys like, fuck this shit because I don't want to offend you. And the fact that that is a sub-theme of the movie about like, well, all comedy is subjective and you just don't find this funny anymore and it's your fault that you don't find it funny, that's problematic. Like, I have said this before, probably said on the podcast, I think everything can be funny from the right lens. Exactly. But a lot of the effectiveness of that lens comes from empathy. And I think just going, well, you don't find it funny anymore because of this woke culture is a complete lack of empathy. Like mm-hmm. I haven't, I grew up watching animal house. I haven't watched it in a long time. I might have a hard time watching it now because of it's really flagrant embracing of sexual assault. Well, I think, I think it's just people need to understand they like the low hanging fruit. You can't just go for that anymore. No, no, you can't. You, you ha- can't. You can't get on stage and be like, "Women, am I right?" Yeah, and like you're not going to get a laugh anymore. No, and, and you, that 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 is his idea of like the woke culture. Yeah, like, woke culture is no longer having tolerance for intolerance or yeah. ignorance, and like that is an important thing. Like you and I are people that are very motivated by comedy. We love comedies. We met through fucking improv for yeah. God's sakes. Like, but you know, I don't know. I don't think I'm just getting more serious as i get older i'm just realizing that like some things just aren't funny because they're mean Mm -hmm. but some things can be really funny if they are able to touch on a recognition of someone else's existence and a lot of that comes through empathy yeah and if this movie had more empathy for i mean yeah just look at look at the shows that have won the the comedies that have won Emmys over the past couple of years. Yeah. You have a show about a retired dad who wants a sex change. That oh, yeah. a lot of people wouldn't consider funny, would consider almost tragic. Yeah. It wins a ton of awards. Fleabag is a girl that doesn't oh, know I how mean, to enjoy happiness. So she has a lot of sex. You've Fleabag, right? I have not. Oh, it's season two. Like, look. I've heard season two is like one of the best things ever. Yeah. Fleabag tangent. Season one didn't really hold up to expectations for me, especially the first few episodes, but I'm glad I made it all the way through because season two is one of the single best piece of television I've ever seen and one of the best finales I've ever seen in my entire life. Okay. And like for me, it held up to the, the expectations. Like mm-hmm. that is a really smart, empathetic, sincere place of comedy. And it's also coming from, it's being told by someone who's lived that life. Yeah. Like at the end of the day, that's a, a female point of view. You and I were just talking about hustlers mm-hmm. and I was listening to again, the empire podcast talking about hustlers. And they said that that movie would have been fucking terrible if it had been directed by a, a, a male director. Yeah. And I absolutely agree with that because it is a highly sexualized story that never feels gratuitously sexual. 
Well, it's the same with uh, Booksmart. Yes. There, oh. there was that great interview. Oh, my God. Have we talked about Booksmart lately? No, I don't. Have we? What's Booksmart? <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. Um, there was a great interview with... Um, not Beanie. Who's the Who's the other girl? Oh, um, oh, goddamn! What's her name? I'm gonna look it up because I love her uh, so much. No, sorry, it wasn't even the interview. I watched the director's commentary about. Oh, right, because you downloaded it. Yeah, I did, and it's so good. It's so I need to go watch it again. Um, it's so fucking good. And Olivia Wilde was talking about the the romance scene at the very end, where it's the Caitlin Deaver. Yeah, Caitlin with yes. uh, Caitlin Deaver. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, and they were talking about how like they were worried it's gonna be this weird, overly sexual thing. But because it was Olivia Wilde behind the camera, they knew, you know, where the camera needs to be, you know, what they need to focus on, how, how to make it, one, not uncomfortable for the actors or the, or the actresses or anyone on set, but also where it's not just like heavy breathing. It's not just this like yeah. weird, gross sex scene. It's, it's this beautiful moment of insecurity and, yeah. and, you know, like discovering another person's body. Yeah. And it, it was... It's awkward. Yeah. And like, I could relate to that. Like that felt like very, really sincere. And, you know, I think more stuff like that is valuable. That, mm -hmm. that sort of like that POV and that empathy is, is, is super, super important. And I, I want more movies like Booksmart and I'm just going to fucking say it. I want less movies like Joker. Mm -hmm. I, I think, I think it's important that this movie came out because I think we now know where the line is. Uh, I would agree with you if I thought that people would respect that line. Yeah, that is the problem. And again, I think that ultimately boils down to the fact that this is like this is a movie where Warner Bros. Like, I'm not trying to pick on people, but like if I were Warner Bros., like this movie did a fucking crap load of money. Let's make a second one. And I, I think, ugh, I mean, even though I was just kind of like knocking Todd Phillips for his like criticism of woke culture. It's a well-directed film. It's a beautiful it's, film. It, it, objectively, it is a well-made film. I understand, it's a little bit boring, but... I understand why it went, why it, all the festivals went crazy for it. Because it's a beautiful film. It's directed beautifully. It's, the cinematography is amazing. The score is really effective. Yeah. Um, look, From a technical aspect, this film is yeah, fantastic. Look, and it put me in a weird From position. From a social of, aspect, yeah, and, it is terrifying. And, and I think that's ultimately the problem, is if I felt like, and I, I again, I always, uh, I'm going to try and attribute some level of good intention that I think the movie was designed to be deliberately uncomfortable, but it undercuts its own message, and I would, I would hope that, this is going to sound strange the way I phrase this, that Todd Phillips would have this sort of artistic integrity to not make a sequel to this, because this is not a movie that should have a sequel. Um, I don't think there's more story to tell. I, think, I agree. Yeah. I, and, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. That actually speaks to the fact that it is a very singularly cohesive story that is well told. Mm -hmm. I just have problems with the story itself. Yeah. And for a Scorsese-produced film... Not produced by Scorsese. Uh, I mean, he was a, he was like rumored to be producing it way, way, way back in the day, but he, he's never actually attached to this in any oh, sort of capacity. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yep. You yep. know, that makes sense because it's not three hours. Yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> Someone cut the fucker down. Like it's look, it's a little boring, but it, it, towards the end, it's it's tight. Mm -hmm. It's tight storytelling. Yeah. Um. I mean, okay, we've gone on and along yeah. about this. I, what did you think? I, I do want to talk about one last little thing here. What did you think of the final? shot so it's it's him getting so i i have a big problem with him getting like pulled out of the police because he's be taken away from the the studio after oh, the they, shooting. they give him the la pieta moment yeah he, so he's taken away from the cop car he's just like you don't see that it's funny like he's just laughing it's like you don't get why it's funny they're hit by an ambulance by guys in the like his acolytes the guys in the clown costume 
they pull him out and he like stands on top of the car and he's just been like praised by everyone around him and he's being seen and he's glorified. And it, I thought it was going to end there. It cuts from there then then him in um, a mental hospital being interviewed. Mm-hmm. And he makes that comment like, you just don't get the joke. Yeah, I think that... I, I do like that it does go beyond it where he does kind of get caught because with the background knowledge we know of Batman, we know he's going to get out. Yeah. We know the rotating door of Arkham. Yeah, and they touch on that mm-hmm. in the movie. Um, but no, yeah, I, I think it should have ended with the you just don't get the joke. Because then that kind of ties it almost a little closer to the killing joke. Yeah. Kind of ending with the laughter. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I didn't like the the him potentially killing the the person then running around. Yeah, because he, he walks out of... he the, then the, the last shot of the movie is a, a hallway, like a stark white hallway at a mental hospital. Mm-hmm. It, it almost looks like the mental hospital from Terminator 2 a little bit. Okay. That's what it reminded me of. He's walking down the hallway, and as he walks further, we see that he's got red footprints. So he mm-hmm. clearly killed the interviewee. Um, In- interviewer. Interviewer, excuse me. He's walking down the hallway, the, the bloody footprints, and I actually, like, I like that moment. I thought that was one of the most Joker-esque moments ever. It is weirdly kind of funny in some way, because it's unexpected. Mm-hmm. And I think in its unexpectedness, that inspires, like, a laugh. Kind of. Oh, and there, there. So that was what was so weird about. This is why I hated seeing it in theaters. Mm-hmm. When there were people laughing in the theater, yeah. I was deeply disturbed. I, and I know, and I know that was probably just me. And there was, there was a teenager in the theater that was trying to just make people more uncomfortable, who was mimicking the Joker laugh whenever he could. Mm, and I'm like, I hate this. That's very unsettling. Yeah. I, I had some people who were like talking a little bit during the movie, but they were laughing. But they were laughing like. This is stupid. So yeah, at least I was like, "That's that, fine. That's fine. That's yeah. fine." Like, mm-hmm. honestly, that's that's a what be- we want. That's a better reaction than like actually finding it funny when it's not funny. But I kind of like that moment of him walking down the hallway, and then like it's almost this like Benny Hill esque thing of him running back and forth, orderlies chasing him. Like that moment in itself feels super, super Joker. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the most Joker moments I've ever seen on screen. But I think uh, I mean they they use the laugh so precisely throughout the film yeah um, I, I was gonna say it would have been interesting if you if you hear the laugh there but it's a it's his genuine laugh not his panic laugh yeah i think that could have been really interesting i think it could have been because then that then that is like that is joker that is yeah that is very joker so i i, I kind of liked that moment a little bit but i'm just curious if you you didn't like it i when when we talk about it like this i enjoy it more i just think it would have been such a powerful ending of just that you don't get the joke yeah um yeah there's that um we really didn't touch on a lot of the middle part of the movie which is fine nothing talked, happens yeah um we had a conversation a few weeks ago about the turning of superhero culture mm-hmm. with the boys the Watchmen coming oh, out soon like, i asked that question of like are we done with sincere superhero stories yes and i think this is the as much of an anti-superman movie as we can get yeah uh, where, how do you think this, besides the, the threat of a sequel, um, uh, how do you perceive this changing superhero film culture, if at all? Do you think we need a pure hero after this movie? Uh, I think as has often been evidenced, and I'm sorry, I'm just going to say it by a lot of the Warner Brothers films, a lot of the DC films, I think the wrong lesson 
is going to be taken away from this. Yeah, they always they they follow the money. They fo- yeah, exactly. The Dark Knight comes out, huge fucking success. They decide that all superhero stories have to be super dark after that. Mm-hmm. The Man of Steel is tonally horrible for Superman. So here, here's my thing. I think it's going to come down to if this makes more money than Shazam. I think because I think Shazam. I think it already has. I don't think it already has, but I think it's well on its way. I think it's already made more money than all of Justice League did in its entire yeah. theatrical run. Yeah, that's true. But I think because I think Shazam started a course correction. Yeah, because we see kind of that more playful side with harley's next right yeah but and kind of with aquaman aquaman had a, a bit more a little bit more on the playful side yeah and I, it I, felt like a marvel i film. think we have hopes for wonder woman that's right that yeah, yeah it'll that's, be a little bit more yeah. like i uh, this isn't gonna affect marvel let me put it this way like oh, yeah, marvel's gonna keep all. doing their thing marvel's very good at what they do they make their, their movies are far more palatable like look uh there's a whole thing to be said about the fact like like the kind of conversations that could be inspired by this movie, conversations like the ones we're having now are a good thing. I just don't give everyone credit for maybe having those conversations. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the problem is the people having the conversations are the people that, like, we don't have the power to change anything. No, well, that, that's exactly <laughs> it. It's like we can sit here and talk about all the reasons why this is problematic, but it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I worry that DC now is going to double down on this and think they have to go, like, really, really extreme. And look, I. I find value in outliers, um, and I think that I, I'm I like the idea of there being like outlier superhero movies. This is not a superhero movie. It's not a, not at all. It's, not a, it's barely even a comic book movie. Yeah, like 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 we said, if we take out Thomas Wayne, if we take out the IP, it's still an amazing movie. Yeah, maybe even a better movie. I think it is. I think it legitimately is better for that. Yeah. Um. Uh, I I think wrong lessons are going to be learned from this. And I, I think we're going to see, we might see some, we might see some more DC films down the line, maybe try and go to these extremes because they're finding it successful. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing. Well, I think we're in this weird realm with this kind of being again, an extreme because Disney's kind of been doing it for a little bit where we see the other side of the villain. Yeah. With Maleficent coming out this week, yeah, as this comes out. Oh shit, that is yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, with there's multiple books coming out of the villain side of the story. You have like a villain book about Ursula and how she's not that bad of a person. Corella. Corella. Uh, well, yeah, the movie Corella. Uh, there's a, a Jafar book, a Scar book. Yeah. Of 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 Queen of Hearts book. Yeah. Uh, we're we're in this realm where. We want every character to be dynamic, even the ones that are very clearly good and bad. Like everyone needs to live in gray now. Yeah, like, I, no one can be good. No one can be white and black anymore. I, I think the uh, it's almost like the opposite phrase from The Dark Knight applies. It's either you die a villain or live long enough to see yourself become the hero. Yeah. Now it's yeah. Now it's both. Yeah. Exactly. And um, yeah, I I don't. I don't really need to see more. I don't need to see more movies that sympathize and to some degree glorify people who do horrible things. Agreed. And I think ultimately at the end of the day, that's this movie's greatest fault. Mm-hmm. Um, do we want to go through yeah, some so, of our other friends? Yeah, so we, yeah, we, we did. hope we might be a little lighter. Because I did, I did uh, reach out to kind of like get some um, perspective uh, from other people on this a little bit um, in a, a relatively short turnaround. Um, so once again, Ashley Clark, the dear Ashley Clark, uh, came into the clutch and she says, um, I mean, mostly agrees with us. 
I think the message is about mental illness, uh, particularly him being okay with the murder or with murder office meds, like what the ever loving fuck. And the message that abused people are destined to inflict on uh, pain on others is harmful. Or, or, you know. um, but yes, there is a bit of a any kind of protest turns into murderous, mindless riots, uh, which can be coded as anti-Black Lives Matter, which I think is definitely a thing. Um, oh, there was, oh, I forgot there was actually more. Um, uh, yeah, so the, I forgot, I read them kind of in reverse order. Uh, yeah, I really didn't like the messages about mental illness and child abuse. Um, why is everyone making Thomas Wayne a dick? Um, none of it was Walking Phoenix's fault. He was mesmerizing. The last 10 to 15 minutes of the movie were genuinely horrifying. In the middle of the interview with Robert De Niro, you can see the switch flip and he becomes the Joker, to your point. It's terrifying. Like, it makes the comic seem a somewhat logical conclusion. And I think that taps into an uncanny valley-ish part of my brain that is scared as fuck. Uh, and I don't like the theme that we're all responsible for the creation of the Joker. I agree with that. And, like, if his dad is a complete douche canoe, why in the world would Bruce become the incredibly protective, self-sacrificing person? Yeah, so so with the Bruce thing, I, I, I wanted to try and bring this up somewhere. Uh, why is he already, like, this weird, like, outcast of a kid while his parents are still alive? While his parents are still alive? I, yeah, like, Because Alfred's also an asshole, and as is his dad. Yeah, I, I feel like... When we like, this should be our our one chance to see a happy Bruce. I know. We have I know. Never. It's, it's the only ever. time we spend any time with Bruce before his parents are murdered, and he's terrible. Yeah. Uh, no, I completely agree with that. Um, uh, like he should he should be nice. Like he, you know, he sees this guy who's doing magic. Like he should be happy and mesmerized. Like, like oh my oh, gosh, this is magic. This is, this is fun and whimsical. Yeah, and yeah. then and then Alfred can come in. He can be an asshole because he's being protective. There's this crazy man at the gate with his hands this is, inside this is Bruce's mouth. These yeah. are all very valid points. Yeah. So I, Alfred's assholeness makes sense because that's literally his job is to protect Bruce. Yeah. So yeah, Bruce should not be. Bruce should be this happy-go-lucky kid right now. I would agree with that. Um, okay. We also uh, we got a question from uh, our friend Chelsea. Yes. Uh, for the joke review tomorrow. While it's no surprise that the heavily dark themes Joker covers, is there any topic or idea you think they should have dived into more? Uh, on the flip side, anything that maybe should have been scaled back on? Um, yeah, the happy Bruce. Yes, more happy Bruce. Mm-hmm. Um, less mental illness is predetermined a justification for murder. Mm-hmm. Agreed. <laughs> I'm trying to think if there's anything else like like they should have dived in more. I think no. No, I mean, cause again, there are some things it does really well. Like, I really like their version of Gotham. Mm-hmm. I thought they they tackled it the right amount. Like, I like that the fact there's a garbage strike, which is part of the reason why this city is so fucking dirty and disgusting. Yeah, yeah, um, garbage strike. Yeah, yeah. Like that was a really good detail, actually, to kind of explain why it's just so awful there. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something. Uh, this is from Brian. You kind of touched about this a little bit. Um, you know, basically the idea that this is exploring the mythology of how the Joker is. Uh, an influence a little bit. Like we talked about that, like the idea that inspires acolytes and mm-hmm. kind of gives some fresh Like yeah, they literally gave him a La Pieta moment. Yeah, they did. Which, they absolutely which did. is terrifying. They yeah. compared Joker to Jesus. Oh my God, I know. what. Oh, so I, I texted, we had a text conversation a while ago about what is the most copied oh, scene. Oh yeah, scene. The La Pieta, the, for sure. The La Pieta moment. Yeah, yeah. that is in everything. Oh, uh, yeah, it, that even, is the quintessential even, martyr scene. Yeah, even in here, where the Joker has somehow become Jesus. Uh, yeah. Oh, what are we talking about? That, that's easily number one. Oh, sweet lord. Um, look, I mean, I feel like I've really beat this horse to death. Um, like I said earlier, 
I don't expect everyone to agree with me. Mm-hmm. I yeah, this, this is a film meant to, or not meant to. This is a film that will spark a lot of conversation. Yeah, and and look, and I get that it's really easy for you and I to sit here and like we more or less are, are in agreement on our thoughts on this uh, to talk about it and not have not such perspective. I mean, yeah. for, we, we are for, both very left leaning. Yeah, very well, and, very and, in, a, in a democratic state. Exactly, and look, and for what it's worth, you and I tried to find a guest to come on who is not a DC fan that could talk about this as from an objective film perspective and we have surrounded ourselves like with with the wrong crowd yeah i mean ultimately it was a challenge we were trying to find someone who could maybe give a a different pov and it was hard to do because obviously we spend time with like-minded folks but you know again to further prove that what big dc fans we are a lot of our friends are big dc fans and we knew they would come into it with a lot of the same sort of bias Mm -hmm. so we tried to bring it elsewhere and you know i i would always rather enjoy something than dislike it I mean, you know, it's always fun to kind of like poke fun at things, you know, just have light banter, which obviously for the most part, this has not been. I would rather have liked this movie or or found its message impactful or meaningful in some sort of way. Ultimately, I just really came away very troubled by it. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't expect everyone to feel the same way. If you do have a different perspective, honestly, I would love to hear it. I guess all I would ask is that you try and express it in a a constructive way polite way which uh, i mean to be fair everyone has always done that with us which has been really really delightful i I think Um, i I, walking out of the theater i had a a unique moment in the theater because this happens a lot at at the grove um i i felt very disgusted for for a while because i sat through the credits um but there was a group behind me that stayed as well and there was a girl with her with all of her friends and it was the first movie she ever worked on and so she saw her name in the credits yeah and hearing their cheers just from that, I think lightened me up a little bit. Yeah. Of like, you know, even with how dark this movie is, like there's still a lot of good that came out. Like there's like so many people worked on this. Some of the, a lot of these people might've been their first movie. Yeah. And like, this is their first time they've ever it, seen their, their name on it's screen. It's a big thing. Yeah. I mean, it's the, it's a movie that like people are seeing and will go see. And that's, mm-hmm. that's, you know, really incredible if that's a project you worked on. Yeah. So like, like having that kind of, glimmer of hope even if it's a dark story it's a story that's going to spark conversation yeah stories change the world in different ways this was her oh god this was her way i almost spit my water <laughs> of of like she got to get a story out and she she got to change the world a little bit and like that that's still pretty awesome no it and is that, that, that always makes me a little happy walking out of it because that, that happens at arc light that happens a lot people will will go there to bring their friends and family uh that that always gives me some hope when I walk out of a theater. Yeah, and you know, so again, I would. I was about to say I'd rather have people enjoy this movie. I really feel like people should enjoy this movie. Hey, everyone, after listening, but, if you've made it this far on the podcast, go watch an episode of like Brave and the Bold or something yeah, just to like, I, like I balance mean, this out. This I, is not a funny podcast. I, I'm, this week. Yeah, look, I mean, we we could have made a lot of jokes. I don't think we felt it was responsible. No, for us to make light of what this movie, how this movie affected us. Yeah. I, yeah, I, yeah, it, it, it hit some things for me that I just didn't feel I could be flippant about. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you know me, which Cameron, you do, and frankly, I imagine a lot of people listen to this do at this point, they've listened to me talk on for enough hours. That's rare. Mm-hmm. That's rare for me to really have a hard time. Um, emoting. No, I'm actually getting, <laughs> I'm getting a lot you better. Are, you are, you are. I mean, no, I, I was, uh, part, like, you know, uh, 
the last time I was out of town, it was for like my cousin's wedding. And I was like, I was able to like really enjoy it. And like, I like cried during the ceremony. It was very emotionally impactful. I've actually done a lot of emotional growth, which has been good. But no, I, it's rare for me to, to take something very, very seriously in the way I have with this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess for, for what it's worth, I, that is a statement in of itself. Yeah. Um, with that being said, are we done? Yeah. Can we I be guess done? So. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, need to, <laughs> we need to get out of this space. I need to go to like, get some Chipotle or something. Yeah. I, I need a serious step away from this film. I really, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to talk I, about I, it. Oh, I, I do want to, um, I do want to say we, we did bring up incels a little bit. Uh, my fear before coming into this movie was it was going to be Pickle Rick 2.0. Oh yeah. It was going to bring out these kind of, uh, aspiring, how did, how did I phrase it before? Uh, aspiring anarchists with no real message. Yeah. I think we might get a, a little bit of that, but I don't think it's going to be, hopefully, I don't think it's going to be as big of a deal or as, as big of a moment as, as kind of the dumb Pickle Rick thing was. Yeah. So I, I do feel a little better about that. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I'm not worried about going into theaters and like, you know, having to potentially duck and cover for something. No. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. Not from this. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like I, yeah, I, I, if I think if there are conversations that are a little bit more uh, nuanced and take a stronger stance than this, movie itself does then that is a good thing so mm-hmm. that, that's kind of what i hope comes out of it yeah same as much as possible so yeah. but now i'm done yeah and i think now we're good we're closing the that, book we've that, that, yeah we, we've done it like we did it this yeah. is like our definitive take on this i think i really don't want to revisit this a lot yeah um next week we're gonna talk adam's family it's gonna be great <laughs> Cameron's gonna go see adam's family <laughs> i'm not uh no we'll be back on zeta next week things will be light and fun and bubbly and all of those great things. Yes. Uh, if you have stuck with us this entire time and uh, and bared with a much more serious take on all of this than maybe you were anticipating, we do appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have healthy, constructive, if still differing thoughts in the movie, you can find us at Tim Talk Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am at Lordifer on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, if you want to see my failing attempt to keep up with Inktober, <laughs> uh, you can find my art at Cameron.Dexter. And if you want to see my Halloween adventures through Disneyland and potentially other things, but probably just through Disneyland, mostly Disneyland, you can yeah. find that at CamDexter underscore Adventures. Yay! We oh, it's Halloween! It. Happy Halloween, everybody! Happy Go watch Halloween. 31 Nights of Halloween on Freeform. Go watch Hocus Pocus. Yeah, because it's probably on right now. It's it's. There's Undeniably. a 70% chance it's on right now. It doesn't matter when you listen to this. It's on. It's on. It's on somewhere. Go yeah. watch it. It's did you hear they're playing it for 24 hours on the 31st? Not surprised in the slightest. No, no, no. They did that last year, too. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's basically just like our generation's version of a Christmas story. It is. So, Which I'm totally fine with. It's Thanks a terrible everybody. film, but I love it. Thanks, everybody. All right, thanks, everybody. Bye.